Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This is episode number 1140 with Sean Stevenson. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Robert Uric said, a healthy outside starts from the inside. And Mark Halperin said, sufficient sleep, exercise, healthy food, friendship, and peace of mind are necessities, not luxuries. My guest today is my good friend, Sean Stevenson, who is a graduate of the University of Missouri-St. Louis, where he studied business, biology, and nutritional science. He's also the founder of Advanced Integrative Health Alliance, a company that provides wellness services for individuals and organizations worldwide. He's the author of the international best-selling book, Sleep Smarter, which has been so powerful for me and so many people around the world, and is the creator of the Model Health Show. And today we're talking about his new book, Eat Smarter, Use the Power of Food to Reboot Your Metabolism upgrade your brain and transform your life. Our conversation was so powerful. There's so much data research that we wanted to share with you that we broke this up into two parts. So make sure to check out part two coming out right after this one. And in this episode, we discuss why more than 60% of people have chronic inflammation, what the root cause of that is, how sleep affects your brain and when you have enough or have too little. Also, how our mental health is affected when we aren't taking care of our body and how they're tied together. The link between inflammation in the body and neuroinflammation, which I thought was fascinating and so much more. And if you're enjoying this, you know what to do. Make sure to share this with a few friends, text a friend, post it on social media. Make sure to tag me and Sean Stevenson as well. And if this is your first time here, click the subscribe button right now over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you can stay up to date on the latest and greatest from the School of Greatness podcast. Okay, in just a moment, the one and only Sean Stevenson. Welcome back, everyone, to the School of Greatness podcast. I'm very excited about our guest, Sean Stevenson, in the house, my man. What's pumped up? about this? Uh, we're having you back on to talk about a lot of different things, nutrition, brain health, inflammation, all that stuff. And I saw a recent stat I want to share with you. By Rand Corporation in 2014, nearly 60% of Americans had at least one chronic condition, 42% had more than one, and 12% of adults had five or more chronic conditions. I'm curious from your perspective of all the research you've done, why do more than 60% of people have chronic inflammation and these conditions? What's the kind of the root of this? Inflammation is an underlying component of a myriad of different diseases, but we don't tend to think about it because inflammation seems like sort of like a ghost in the machine. You know, it's like, ooh, inflammation, but it truly is, you know, if you look at the root word, you know, coming from the Greek and the Latin, it means to set on fire. Right. And so there Inflame. are these, like, right. and these are some of the outward symptoms we might think about. It's just like pain, swelling, bruising, burning, aching, those type of things. But there's a massive, the majority of the inflammation that folks are experiencing oftentimes go unnoticed. There are these little kind of chronic low grade fevers or little fires burning 
that are contributing to a lot of different metabolic disorders. And the reason that our bodies are doing it is really the inflammation is sending out a distress signal mm. from different tissues to recruit and call in the immune system to support in, in defending against infections and repair. And the list goes on and on. Inflammation is actually not a bad thing. It's, right. It's a, a healer, natural, right? Right. If we, if, we, if we would get a, a wound, we would never heal without inflammation. If we got an infection, it would be deadly without inflammation. It's an important part of our evolution and our health. What's the difference between that and chronic inflammation? Right. So what we generally think about is acute inflammation. When we acute. think about like, an, like a short-term uh, <clears throat> intrusion, maybe an injury or an infection, for example, which the inflammation might last a few hours, even a few days. Right. But if inflammation is lasting for a long amount of time and also showing up in the wrong places, it can be devastating. And so now we're talking about chronic inflammation. And if we're venturing into chronic inflammation, we've got to look at what are the underlying components? What is, what is creating the fire? What is throwing gasoline on the fire as well? And so if we take one of the conditions that you mentioned, so right now here in the United States, we've got about 242 million of our citizens are overweight or obese. 242 Out of how million. Many? Out of how many? Right around 330,000. 330 million? I'm sorry, 330 million. So 200, 240 million. million are obese. So we're looking at somewhere in the ballpark of 70 to even upwards of 80% How is that of possible now? Exactly. That how should have we the gotten question. this far? Yeah. How is it just food is too accessible? Or the wrong kinds of foods are too accessible to so many people now? The, you know, social media, is it laziness? Is it, why have we shifted from being a healthy nation, I don't know, probably 60, 70 years ago to an unhealthy nation. Yeah, it's really a perfect storm of, of all the things. So I, the first thing to look at and to ask is what's going on because our genes expect certain things from us. Our DNA expects certain things to have healthy outcomes or healthy cell replication, healthy expression. And so we've got to look at what are the things our genes expect of us. Our mm. genes expect us to move. Right. For example, we're the most sedentary culture in the history of humanity and recorded human history. We're the most sedentary culture to ever exist right now. All of humanity or just USA? Right, especially the US. Right. We're, the, we're the LeBron James. We're the king <laughs> of sedentary we're, behavior. We're the Homer Simpsons. We're the, of, <laughs> yes. Don't. Yeah, we're, the, we, you know, we're really leading, leading the league in these things. And so that's number one. Also, our genes expect us to get adequate sleep. And this is something that we've talked about multiple times on the show, but this is, it's built into our evolution. And if you think about sleep, it's very strange because you're incredibly vulnerable, you're unconscious. You'd think we might evolve out of it just for safety. Uh, but the thing is, so many wonderful, absolutely amazing things take place during sleep that we just haven't found a way to replicate, right? So even with the reduction of inflammation, which we'll talk about more, you know, with, we have microglial cells in our brain which are, it's kind of the brain's immune system. And it's, it's primarily active when we're sleeping to reduce inflammation, to clean out metabolic waste and things of the like. So what, what would you say are the five biggest benefits of the greatest night of sleep consistently? Like what are the five main benefits that you get if you get deep REM sleep for seven, eight hours a night consistently, no interruptions, no light exposure, all the things you talked about in your other book, Sleep Smarter, what are the five main benefits that come from that versus, you know, interrupted sleep, four hours of sleep, you know, staying up late with the phone, you know, having coffee late at night, all that stuff. What's the benefits? We'll just power, power pack bullet point yes. these. Um, number one, and this is because our culture, we are, we, I always like to connect to something visceral mm -hmm. and people, we care about how we look. 
Of course. Right? Yeah. And so You're younger nobody's right. Nobody's waking up like, I want to look so old today. I want to get my George Burns on. I want to be as old as possible. Or I want to I want to feel bad today about the way that I, I that I that I look or they're not waking up like I just want to look terrible and feel terrible today. And I've run in my clinical practice, I never met one person. And people might argue these things and get into a, because of our cognitive biases, I've never met anybody who wants to be unhealthy. Right. Every single person wants to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Now, with that said, this is where sleep really comes into the, into the fray because over the years, me being a nutritionist, I really, me being a nutritionist, I thought that food was everything, you know, because it was, it was for me, it was my bridge, but there's many paths to the goal. When you're sleeping, it is the most powerful anabolic state that you can be in. So it's just, you're just teeming with what we call these quote anti-aging hormones, you know, the release of human growth hormone, for example, that really it's also known as the youth hormone. Yeah. You know, and also within that lane of body composition and, and overall health and fitness, researchers at the University of Chicago did a very simple study. They brought folks in and they wanted to see what would happen with their weight loss. They put them on a calorie restricted diet and they wanted to see what would happen with weight loss when they were well rested versus when they're sleep deprived. And so they put them under both conditions. And I love studies that do that. It put people under both conditions to see what would happen. Uh-huh. And so they allow folks to get eight and a half hours of sleep in one phase of the study. And they tracked all their metrics, their weight loss, et cetera. And then they sleep deprived them for the other phase. So they was getting eight and a half hours. Now they're getting five and a half hours. Tracked all their metrics. Same group. Same group on the same exact calorie-restricted diet. Same calories, yeah, everything. But when they were sleep-deprived, when they were sleep-deprived versus when they were adequately rested, when they were getting enough sleep, they lost 55% more body fat just by sleeping more. That's crazy. It doesn't even make sense. Were they working out the same or was it like no movement? What was it just like? Everything is the same. same. This is what I love too. It's a ward study. So they're under the conditions where they can track everything. Oh, wow. Now, here's another part of the study I don't often talk about is that they actually did biopsies. So they actually took the fat cells, fat cells to see what would happen with their fat cells under the different conditions. And what they came to the conclusion was that your fat cells actually need sleep too. Oh. Because when the fat cells were not, when, you, when they weren't adequately rested, their fat cells actually became more insulin resistant, which should become like, that should put up a huge red flag. Because insulin resistance is one of the classic signs is carrying more belly fat, right? So the fat cells themselves, looking at them versus when you're well-rested versus when you're sleep-deprived, your fat cells themselves become insulin-resistant. Mm. And it's just going to lead to downstream problems with your liver, lipogenesis, the creation of new fat. The list goes on and on. So that's just one, part, one yeah, thing. Number so one. number one. Number two, the cognitive performance. Uh-huh. And I love this study. This was published in The Lancet. And they wanted to see what would happen when physicians, they took physicians and had them com- to complete a task and tracked all their numbers. Then they sleep deprived them for 24 hours, which is not abnormal in the field of medicine, and had them to complete the same task, which is a simulation of different like surgical type of simulation. They made 20% more mistakes doing the exact same thing, and it took them 14% longer to do the exact same thing. All right? So, and this is a big problem in our culture. Again, we mistake being busy for being effective, right? And so that's that's the number two thing, the cognitive performance. Number three, and this, it parallels with cognitive performance, is the health of our brain. And so researchers at UC Berkeley did brain imaging scans, and you know, we talked about this before, but yeah. they actually looked at the sleep-deprived brain, just again, 24 hours of sleep deprivation, and the part of the brain that's associated with executive function, right? So 
decision making, distinguishing between right and wrong, social control. So the prefrontal cortex, the more human part of our brain, that part of the brain goes cold. The activity of that part of the brain just literally as we're more and more tired just shuts down. With the lack of sleep. With the lack of sleep. Coupled with more activity in the amygdala, which is very much more primitive, driven by emotion, Mm. very much concerned with survival of self. And so that part of the brain just lights up like a Christmas tree or Las Vegas sign. You just came back from Vegas. (laughs) So these changes happen in the brain very quickly. Mm -hmm. And that leads into number, well, number three, reduce cognitive performance. Mm -hmm. So being able to manage our emotions, being able to manage our decisions. And then we'll go to number four is going to lean into this as well with the brain function is I talked a little bit about this earlier. During sleep is when your glymphatic system, which is the brain's waste management waste management system, cleansing it all out, is ten times more active when you're sleeping than when you're awake. So, th- and your brain is doing literally trillions of activities every second, and there's a lot of metabolic waste that takes place. And you have to have this cleansing system, this cleaning system, or you're going to have a buildup of things like amyloid beta plaque, for example, which that is a strongly, strongly correlated with Alzheimer's disease. It's an inability of the brain to clean itself mm. and also insulin resistance in the brain we could talk about later but we're wondering again why are these issues going up why is brain inflammation going up these are the things are we getting enough sleep for the processes that normally just naturally want to happen they do it on their own are we getting that the final thing so four is um the cleansing right cleansing right. cleaning and so this is associated with disease prevention of the brain longevity of the brain and number five um, you know, this is tough. There's so many different, different things that this can benefit. But I would say for me and, and you as well, like we, we want to be able to perform. You know, we want to be able to, to use our body and our mind to compete, right. to get out and, and to play, to have a good time. And one of the fun things that I talked about in my, in my first book, Sleep Smarter, was research that was done on basketball players, collegiate basketball players at Stanford. And they found that simply by increasing the amount of sleep that they were getting, not training more, not doing anything else differently, this shaved a full second off of their sprint time just by increasing their sleep. Wow. They improved, significantly improved their free throw shooting and their three-point shooting just by getting more sleep. All right. And these are things that we just kind of, on a periphery, kind of know that. But at the same time, are we utilizing it? So some of the greatest athletes in the world right now, sleep is a part of their training. LeBron James, it's a part of his training. Usain, Usain Bolt, same thing. It's a part of his training. Mm-hmm. Now, Serena Williams, the list goes on and on and on. These things weren't taught to us when we were in high school. No. It was just like... Get up at 4 a.m. and lift. Yeah, and yeah. right. <laughs> just go, just go right into somebody. Yeah. You know what I mean? Make a play. Make a play. You Keep your head on a play. swivel. <laughs> <laughs> but today, you know, it's really built into the into the system. Yeah. Also, the strength training programs are yep. built into the system, um, which is beautiful because, again, when we were in high school, it was very. I mean, some stuff was starting to take place with folks being in the weight room, but it wasn't a big emphasis. Whereas now, if you look at different sports, like a good friend, which I'm. It's so weird for me to say this right now. This is like the coolest thing. I've actually got chills. Ozzie Smith, mm-hmm. right? So having the opportunity. St. Louis icon, him. man. Icon. icon. When I was a kid, my two idols were Ozzie Smith and Michael Jackson. Wow, yeah. And I tried to wear the Thriller jacket to school, <laughs> and I got drove. That was not a good look. But Ozzie Smith could be my role model, and I could just, I wanted to, to play. I wanted to compete, yeah, to man. play baseball. And so I actually met him at the gym. And so he was there. I think he was probably in his 
around in his mid 60s maybe at the time um, but he was there getting strong like and he was one of the first if not the first high level elite baseball players to really embrace strength training mm. way back in the 80s wow. and the reason that he did it funny enough was he tore his rotator cuff and he didn't want to be out like this was back in the day where it's just like literally you pat you do whatever it takes to get on the field and he wanted to be there for his team and so he just try, had to find out a way to strengthen everything around it because he didn't want to have surgery, he would have been out for a year at the time. And now, you know, of course, surgeries have advanced tremendously since then. But so he found in that he strengthened everything in his shoulder, but also he started throwing from a completely different arm angle and still won 13 consecutive gold gloves. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. Backflipping at the same time. Right. Yeah. He's out there backflipping with the glove on. It's cool. Man, it's so powerful. But it's a big part of what our genes expect is to is to be strong in some different domain. And we talked about this before the show, that translates over into our lives mm-hmm. as well. You know, So that strength, if you can train your body and your mind, because your mind is in play too, life gets a little bit easier in many aspects. You know, like you feel more physically ready to handle whatever life throws at you, mm-hmm. you know? And so in the context that, that final one is being able to, to perform at a high level, to recover from the training that we do, all the magic happens when you're sleeping. Absolutely. When you're up in the gym and, and training or you're out on the field competing, you're just tearing your body up. That's all catabolic stuff. Yeah. You get the anabolic reward when you go to sleep. When I was interviewing Andrew Huberman, the neuroscientist out of uh, Stanford, he was saying that even learning a new skill, it's like the neurons connect when you're sleeping. Like when I do Spanish class sometimes, I'm just like, I'm not getting this. You know, there's moments where my like, gosh, this is, hurts my brain. It's so challenging. But then I come back the next day or two days later, and I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, I've connected the neurons, or it's like in your sleep, things are moving and processing for you to really connect those things you're learning, those new skills, those challenging things. So I think it's, and if I wasn't sleeping, I probably wouldn't connect the dots on a new skill. So something to think about there as well. I'm curious about this. Have you seen a study around, or any research around how our belief about our identity how we view ourselves in the world, whether we think positively of ourselves, we have confidence, we believe in ourselves, or our lack thereof, we have a bad view of ourselves. Do you, is there any research about how that affects the brain, our actual mindset of the brain and ourselves? Absolutely. Have you Absolutely. Seen this? The, the number one driving force of the human psyche is to stay congruent with the ideas that we carry about who we are. Uh-huh. Every, every thought that we think, every action we take is really correlated with who we believe ourselves to be. And this is why change can be so uncomfortable. You know, when we start to think things that I, I don't think that way, or these are things that I don't do, our, our physiology, this stuff really gets hardwired mm. into us. And so it creates discomfort because we're literally going to start creating new neural pathways and potentially start to break down old ones. And a mutual friend, Dr. Caroline Leaf, and I love her so much. And she's really brought to the forefront. And I talked a little bit about this in Eat Smarter in my, in my new book and how our thoughts really affect our biology, even how food affects us based on our beliefs about yes. food. And so one of the biggest things to really come from her work that unfortunately it wasn't embraced, even though she's been in the field for 40 years, she really Crazy. knows her stuff and has affected so many different lives. But it takes time for kind of collegiate training to, to change, for the books to change. But one of the big takeaways is thinking, your, your thoughts create your brain. Really? The process of thinking itself is creating your brain. And we think that the brain 
is in and of itself just kind of offshooting our thoughts. Now, we can absolutely have thoughts stored in our brain, but thinking is so much bigger. Our mind is creating our brain. So thinking is a part of the mind. Is that right? Also Which, the brain as well. It's both. Yeah, it's kind of within the brain. Then we start to create as She share, shares, I don't know if she did this with you, but she brings up the little trees yes, and all these things. The branches. And yeah. This, yeah, so yeah. we start to create these with a thought, little thought trees start to bear fruits. But we can supersede it. Your mind is bigger than just your brain. We tend to think that because everything is kind of up here, but our, our mind is in our toe. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host when you get a new car or a new home your first reaction might be to say things like oh yeah or i can't believe it or booyah but what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need like a good neighbor state farm is there state farm is there with the coverage you need for your car your home and even boats motorcycles rvs and other things that matter to you with a state farm agent you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need with so many coverage options it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you and when you need ways to get help state farm gives you options there too in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. Like when you're trying to buy tickets for the best seat at your favorite team's big game. Or when you're hiring for your business and you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. With ZipRecruiter, you can find qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com greatness. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I believe finding the right team member is one of the most important steps in setting up my company for success. We like to ensure our new hires will be a good fit before they're even on the team. So I am grateful that I have ZipRecruiter's help when we want to grow the team fast. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. As well. And our mind is just in our so gut. much. Yeah, in our gut. It's I just expansive. had Dr. Emeron, uh, Emeron Mayer on. Yeah, yeah. And he was talking guy, about yeah. the, the mind in the gut and how yeah. it's all connected to the brain as well. The gut brain and the, the brain brain. And it's fascinating. It's so fascinating. The mind is connected throughout, all, throughout your body as well. As well. Yeah. So, for example, even our heart, within the gut, the, the human brain itself is just an a absolute universe of neurons. So it's like 84 billion wow. neurons, right? I was thinking about human cells overall. So we have about 84 billion neurons in the brain. We have about 100 million in the gut, all right? So these, this is like nerve tissue. It's like a mass of, of neuro tissue. 
in the gut. But the, the heart also has neurons as well. So you, when they, it's called, and anybody can go to Dr. Google and look this up, it's called the heart brain. All right, so your brain, your heart actually has this kind of ability to, to think and there's this electromagnetic energy that it's expressing. And there's a field also, it's uh-huh. called a tube torus that's been monitored that's expanding beyond our body to be able to see this. And if folks want to check out the work from HeartMath Institute. HeartMath. HeartMath Institute it is phenomenal. I've been, you know, um, probably for about 10 to 15 years uh, connected with, with HeartMath this, Institute. It's just absolutely phenomenal. So data. there's a field around the heart. Does yeah. that mean like quantum physics we're talking about or is this something else? Mm. So what is this field, an just, energy field? We'll, we'll keep it real, real simple first, which is if we think about the, elect, the electrical energy that the heart is kicking off, like when, you, when you're in the hospital, mm-hmm. right? And you see the monitor, boop, mm-hmm. boop. It's not reading the, 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 the smoke coming off your heart. It's reading the electrical energy that's coming off the heart, right? So we got EKGs and things of that nature. So we can read the electrical currency that the body is, is, is throwing off. Wow. Your body is just teeming with energy. And there's even a form of energy that we generate. It's called piezoelectricity, right? Just for moving, we're generating energy and electricity. So just from a very simplistic level, the heart is, is kicking off energy that we can't see. That's the thing about it, right? It's, it's, a, it's emanating from beyond us. Even our skin is emanating energy. We just see a certain spectrum of light as humans. We see a c- certain spectrum of ener- energy. How far does this energy go beyond the body? So the tube torus is from HeartMath Institute's data and being able to, to measure it and monitor it, it can be upwards of, at last checked, around eight feet from your body. And so now this is getting into some freaky stuff, yeah, right? And I'm a very, me. give it to me. I'm a very logical, <laughs> analytical human. So seeing is believing for me. But then we get into there's many things that are just, and also I'm, I'm very open-minded as well. And there's many things that we don't understand. But when we talk about people being in your space and you picking up people's energy and interacting, mm-hmm. and that stuff is very real. You know, you can pick up people's vibes. You know, yes. quote, bad bad vibes. So we don't want to downplay that. Because other, other species of animals, they have that bigger connection. And we can, we can attribute, like bees, for example, you know, in this, quote, hive mind. But we throw that away when it comes to us. Mm. And so for me, for years, I've been seeking to find how can I explain this to people to make sense? Because I'm a very solid thinker. You know, I'm a very logical person. And one of the things I came across was Princeton University researchers. They found that they just took two strangers and they put them together and they had them to just chat. And they found out within a matter of minutes, all they had to do was create some rapport and their brain waves started to sync up. Come on. Their brain waves started syncing up just by having rapport and talking to another person. We start syncing up. And this is this happens all the time. What does that mean that we sync up? The brain is what? So it's like it's again, this is this is expanding beyond our kind of normal concept of what the brain is because it's not just the brain it's also the mind it's controlling the brain right the mind is controlling the brain yes. the brain isn't controlling the mind we we tend to think that it's the brain that's running the but show but it's not but the it's mind not. so what is the yes. mind that's put dr caroline lee's episode <laughs> in right this week. She, yeah, could, well. she could dive in deeper on on what that is right uh from a more clinical uh, aspect however i'll tell you this the mind is, it's something that we're still having a hard time to identify what uh-huh. it is and where it's located. That's the thing. Where is it? Like here, is it around yeah, here? Is it's it's definitely space? not in your brain alone. 
No. Your, your mind is everything about you. Mm. Everything about you. We, the problem is that we tend to think that the brain is the master controller. But it's not. It's not. It's what absolutely is? not. The mind is. Okay. The mind. And it, we still are trying to, to, to dictate what the mind is. It's so big and it's so it's beautiful. Crazy. It's expansive. So this is the adventure of all this stuff. It's like we get to learn, we get to discover. But as soon as we think that we got it figured out, nah. that's when everything starts to go wrong. And also it sounds like if the brain isn't optimized through sleep, through nutrition, through healing the inflammation, the chronic inflammation, if that's not optimized, your mind is not going to be optimized. Yeah, You're going to be thinking poorly. You're going to yeah. be acting poorly. You're going to be tired, all these different yeah. things. So if you want your mind to be sharp, you got to make sure your brain is healthy and recovered and healed. Is that what I'm hearing you say? It's, it's true. If we're just going to be, again, looking at this from a very foundational, simple principle, mm -hmm. it's much more difficult to think the thoughts that we want to think when we don't feel well. Right. When right. we don't feel well, we start to think bad thoughts. It's just, it it's just comes together. It's hard. It comes together because of our, <clears throat> so much of our biology is driving our lives, you know, how we feel. But this is the thing, and everybody's seeing this example. We can think externally of our biology. We can change our thoughts and change what's happening with our biology instantly. Because every thought that you think has correlating chemistry that's released. Really? And Give also, me an example. So right now, about, right about now, your wife yeah, in a loving oh, way. Man. So I'm gonna start releasing a little bit of oxytocin, uh -huh. you know, a little bit of, <clears throat> maybe a little dopamine, you know, a little serotonin. In the brain. Yeah. Which then yeah. releases. But it also depends on the thoughts as well. If it's some sexy thoughts, it might be a little, get a little, a little uh, adrenaline or epinephrine yeah, produced. You know, just like that a little bit more uh, aggression might come uh. forward. You know, it just depends. But also if, for example, we have a, 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 a thought where something bad is happening right now, where we're thinking about, you know, maybe we're worried about something that we care about. Maybe they've been in, uh, some type of uh, an incident mm -hmm. of some sort and but maybe we heard some news about it but it's not true okay so maybe we we heard that somebody that we love got into an altercation right and we're just like you know really upset like oh my i can't believe this happened i can't believe whatever and we can start to produce these chemicals associated with that stress so much more cortisol right so a lot of people know about cortisol cortisol is not a bad guy we've talked about this before. right 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 it's a big too part much of it consistently too much, hurts you, especially and chronically. So we start to release all these neurotransmitters, neuropeptides, right. hormones, all driving us towards worry, fear, anger, regardless if the situation is real or not. Right. That's the rub. We make it up. So we can think external. We can think beyond our current circumstances and change our biology. But if our biology is in a tough place, it, it's harder to keep trying to do that. So our thoughts shape our biology. Our thoughts shape Absolutely. our feelings, your which thoughts create your body. Your thoughts create the body. So now we get into, wow. I'm, I'm going to bring her up one more time. Yes. Uh, Caroline's work. She's great. Yeah. So we, that, we had a great conversation about that as mm -hmm. well. And actually, um, uh, an interview that I did with her, it came out recently. And we, got, we, 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 we put our toes in in that conversation a little bit more. Because this, wow. again, this is kind of difficult for us to, to, to think about today because we've been so inundated with the, the genetic dominant theory that right. our genes are controlling our lives. And it's now today, true. of course, I, I believe just about everybody listening has heard the term epigenetics at this point and how these, these are above genetic controls, like epidermis, like your skin, the outermost mm -hmm. part of your skin. So epigenetics is controlling your genetic expression, right? And so humans collectively have got maybe 
20,000, 22,000 genes collectively. But I think that that's going to play out, and, and you're hearing it here first, I think that that number is not quite accurate, but when they did the Human Genome Project, that's what they discovered. Right. But why are we so different? It's because of the, the, the expression of the genes. There can be a thousand different outpicturings of one gene, and it could code or express what we would deem to be something negative. Mm. But even the negative things are trying to push us towards health. There, our body is always adapting, trying to help us to survive. Trying to realign us and saying, this yes. is not good. You need to pay attention to this and fix it. Yeah. Even with obesity, our bodies are trying to save us. They're How tr- so? Trying to save us. So, for example, when we, when we bring in an abnormal amount of sugar, like the way that humans evolved, we didn't have access to sugar like right, that. Right. You know, if you come a across a, a beehive or something, like you're going to risk, you're going to risk getting stunned to get some of that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> But today, we've taken that. Just here, eat it all day long. It's, Everything. It, it is, it's so remarkable how, and it's, for me, it's just, it's a very simple principle of biology. When did we start getting sugar accessible in this country? When was, what year or decade was this where it's like, oh, sugar's so, available now? Here's the beautiful thing. Humans have, we've always had a, a hankering for sugar, like through our evolution. We go towards like I said, this, yeah, yeah. We'd, we'd go for those things, especially, but also is available for some cultures only certain times a year, for example. And so you would rack up on it high, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. And now this is important tenet as well. Because, and there's a reason for this, the human brain itself, if we think about the blood-brain barrier that protects the brain and only allows in certain things, certain nutrients, it only has gates for certain gases like oxygen, for water, only certain nutrients get into the brain. The brain has its own exclusive diet, but there are a lot of sugar gates. Your brain will gladly confiscate. Harvard researchers uncover this. Your 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 brain will gladly sop up half of the sugar that you take in in a meal. You take fifty grams of sugar, twenty fifty percent of that, twenty five grams, twenty five into the brain. Going to what, your brain. How is it? Where is it going? Does it go throughout all the brain? Does it go to a section of the brain? What yeah. happens? Is so, it and it's just filtered throughout, and you're just on a sugar high. Yeah, so even the term sugar high, like it sounds, it's kind of funny, but that's not funny. Right. It's not funny because what happens is, so there are these protein gates that allow the sugar to transfer over from the, through the blood-brain barrier into the brain itself. And yeah, because many of the neurons run off of glucose. So your brain is like, look, give me that. We got, we got stuff to do. Well, let, me, let me take all of it. But what happens is over time is it starts to create insulin resistance in the brain as well. Mm. All right. So this is one of the biggest issues facing our world today. And if we get into the conversation about inflammation, neuroinflammation, I believe, is the most troubling issue that we're facing as a society. But it's it's a it's a hidden, overlooked issue because the brain is so protective. We don't really know that this is going on until oftentimes it's too late because the brain itself, we talked about the symptoms of inflammation pain, swelling, burning, the brain itself doesn't have pain receptors. Mm. So your brain can tell you about pain in your, in your pinky toe or on your, you know, pain in your neck, but pain within the brain itself, it doesn't have pain receptors. What about like a migraine or something? Is that not? Migraines are not the brain directly expressing pain. Huh. It's, it has a lot to do with, now there is, this is a little bit more complicated. There, is, there, there are some offshoots of things happening within the brain with migraines, let me be clear. So let's just take um, the borderline 
migraines are different also. People who experience migraines, they know that it's different, but from a headache. But we'll just take that borderline experience, maybe like a, an acute migraine or a, maybe a tough headache. What it really is, is the blood vessels that surround the, the brain, that, that surround the, your skull, mm-hmm. all right, not the brain but that's surrounding your, your neck and your shoulders. Mm. And so muscle spasms and things of that nature can start to kind of cut, cause restriction, right? So, but there can be some electrical storms taking place in the brain for sure. Interesting. But anyway, so the brain is, itself doesn't experience pain. So this is why, for example, there's, you know, you can have a brain surgery and not feel like it. yeah you're you awake be awake yeah and it's Death just like nuts isn't it yeah, so weird wasn't so there weird. someone who was like playing violin on a, on a brain surgery that like yeah, opened the head it, and yeah. just like to see if she could still play or make sure there was that's like some total recall that's stuff, crazy right? man where's yeah. Arnold that was crazy some, like yeah it's it's amazing man but these these are really <clears throat> overlooked simple principles but going back to that tentative inflammation so if the brain can't experience the pain how do you know when it's on fire how do you know when it's in the brain you don't know yeah until it's too late. You don't huh? know. But there are downstream symptoms. I'm feeling this in my, my face, my arm, my back, like something, my gut doesn't feel good. There might be a And it's signal. a constant superhighway of the brain-body connection, mm. right? So these researchers at Albert Einstein College of Medicine, they found that neuroinflammation is a double-edged sword for nutritional diseases, met- metabolic diseases, all right? So what, what, that what that means is inflammation in the brain is one of the primary causative factors of obesity. Ah, and so when, you're, when you have inflammation in the brain, you're more likely to be obese. And obesity is a causative agent for neuroinflammation. So they both hurt each other. So you're getting into this double-edged sword or vicious circle. And this is why, again, we, we tend to downplay or belittle people who are struggling with obesity, for example, and not knowing how many programs out there are telling you we need to target the, the inflammation in your brain for you to get well, for, mm. your, metaboli- for your metabolism to heal. Yeah, the, the work that Dr. Daniel Amen is doing, which is, you know, he yeah. says the bigger the body, the smaller the brain. Yeah. You know, your brain starts to shrink. I think that's accurate, if I remember. But it's like, and you want to really focus on both the nutritional side and the brain. Make sure the brain is healthy. And you can heal and recover a lot of the brain, from what I'm learning from my scan that I took yeah. there. There are ways to, in, to optimize the brain, even if you've heard it in a big way. Yeah, that's right? the beautiful part about yeah. us. And Daniel's a really good friend. If there's anybody who knows, it's him. He has the biggest database yeah. of SPECT imaging scans. He's looking at the brain. He's not just making it up. Yeah. And so this is, the, this is a fact. I talked about this in Eat Smarter as well. He actually wrote the, the cover quote for Eat Smarter. Nice. Uh, man, I'm so grateful to have a friend like him because he's just he's such right. a wealth of knowledge. But um, one of the really interesting, interesting things is that as your waistline grows, your brain shrinks. That's crazy. Right? So we see that. And uh, particularly the gray matter of the brain is going to be inhibited. So many obesity, what does that mean? Obesity impacts the quality of the brain? Yeah. And what if 65, 70% of Americans are now obese? That means they have smaller brains, which means they're not going to be able to perform as well. They're going to be more temperamental. They're going to be more mentally unwell, I'm assuming, have more mental health issues, potentially more depression, anxiety, and stress, and overwhelm based on obesity. Yeah. You said it, man. What this, do we, is, I mean, this is where, this is where it really gets, how do for we, us, scary because we often, we look at the, the condition and we just like, and me being in this field, I've been in this field almost 20 years, mm-hmm. and we'll just say, if I got 30 family members, 
28 of them are obese mm. growing up. Like I grew up around right, obviously, yeah. that, you know. But for me, my genetic cars were a little bit different because I ate worse than everybody. But, but I, I had yeah. asthma, you know, I had, gotcha. um, the, of course, you know about the, the, the degenerative disc condition, yes. you know, so I had advanced arthritis when I was just a baby, really. I was, I was, I was so you, had other, you had other uh, painful side effects than obesity. Right. By yeah. eating poor expressions, but that fat, my fat genes kicked in. Yeah, eventually, eventually after 25, yeah. 30, you're when, I, to when, like, oh. when I got to 20 and I stopped because for me also, it's always very active as yes. well. And so now I've got this chronic condition diagnosis, so-called incurable, nothing I can do about it. Mm. And now I'm, I, get, I was given a permission slip to do nothing, you know, and so I, that's what I did, you know. So again, again, in that state of learned helplessness. Now, I'm going to ask something that might be controversial. There's a big movement of the accept yourself, self-love, no matter how big you are, small you are, like just love yourself where you're at. And, you know, how do we, how do we love and accept people for where they're at without shaming them, but also encourage them to improve the quality of their health so that their brain gets bigger and healthier, so that they can live longer, so that they can perform better because... From what I'm hearing, obesity is not something that's going to make you live longer and healthier. Yeah. I, I love this question, man, because the first thing is I love it because this conversation is bringing to light the fact that we've been inundated with an idea of what beauty looks like. Mm. We've been inundated with an idea that thin is better for many years. We've been inundated with an idea that you've got to look a certain way. You've got to have a certain, certain complexion, certain eye color whatever the case is, to be the epitome of what beauty is. Mm -hmm. And human, humanity is so beautiful, so diverse, yes. and so, so gorgeous, so magical. You know, there's so much beauty and expression. And there are cultures that are just thicker than a snicker by nature. <laughs> right, you know, right. if you talk about, you know, folks, um, you know. Polynesian cultures. Uh, Polynesian culture, for example, incredible athletes. And they just right out of the gate, it's gonna have a be a little bit thicker. But that's beautiful, it can mm -hmm. be beautiful, it can be healthy. It depends on your genetics, on how much weight you carry, right. and how healthfully you can carry it. You maintain your insulin sensitivity, the health of your brain, the longevity, the list goes on and on. There are different, and this is one of the things that I really brought to the fold with Eat Smarter, is your unique metabolic fingerprint. And a part of that metabolic fingerprint is honoring your genetics, yes. right? And so with that said, Shifting the culture right now to honor our diversity and our our variation of what beauty looks like, and not being having this idea that having some body fat is something that's wrong or ugly. That's that's an absolutely terrible thing. The other part, and it's not even a but. It's and. So we have that that acknowledgement, and we have to understand that if you have insulin resistance, you're pre-diabetic, or you're diabetic, or you have heart disease or you have neuroinflammation that we're talking a little bit about, you have allergies and asthma, list goes on and on and on, advanced arthritis, all these different conditions, all these underlying things that can take place, this is going to, in many ways, destroy your quality of life. Mm. And we want you to be healthy and a, a unique expression of what beauty is. Yes. 
So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. That's it. You don't have to be perfect and have a six pack and have like a certain amount of body fat, but you gotta live a long time. If you wanna live happy and healthy and not feel these kind of mental health issues as well, this will help that if you're healthier physically. Right? Absolutely, because that goes hand in hand with all the other things that we're seeing as a society where we're losing so many people prematurely. You know, we're losing lives, but not just that, not just the actual loss of life, but the loss of life where people are still living. Ooh, what do you mean by that? When we fall into these places, I lost my grandmother, the love of my life, the love of my life. Ah. My grandfather, her and my grandfather were an entity, mm. you know? And so uh, we just had some friends over yesterday and they were like, you guys are the only married couple that we really, that we know that are like, and I'm just wondering how I can, how we have what I, we have, my wife and I, when I didn't have any examples of uh -huh. a healthy married couple. Like yeah. I just pretty much never seen it, never saw it. But I lived with my grandmother when I was a little guy, when I was, when I was you know, between the age of about, we'll say four to eight years old, right? So it was very formative. And for me, that was my earliest memories. And they're an entity and they, and I'm sure they had disagreements, but they ne I never, I, all I saw was love. Wow. All I saw wow. was them like, his arm around her and just affectionate. She loved him literally to death. And so he ended up having uh, multiple open heart surgeries. Ugh. And he was, you would think again, he was, he was hunting, he was foraging, very like outdoor guy, but he was living under chronic stress in the city. He was a country boy, mm. right? And so he was, you know, in this environment, but also when he first, when he was noting like, okay, you got a high blood pressure, he also was a very angry guy. You know, well, he, he dealt with anger. Yes. But not towards us, you know, but just his conditions that he came up around. So now this is very important. The physician, based on his prelim, preliminary uh, blood work, which again, I wish I could have been there and to, to be able to intersect this, it was like, okay, you got to cut the fat. You need to switch mm. out that butter and mm. start to have this partially hydrogenated vegetable oil, which is mm. country crock. It was the first time I saw country crock was in my, grand, my grandmother and grandfather's house. And he went from having some blood work issues to having a heart attack. Oh man. To having open heart surgery. Ugh. To him dying early. And was he obese or no? No, he looked incredibly fit. Wow. But that was his do you, think, do you think it was more stress or the nutrition? 
primarily stress, I feel. Stress and then also the nutrition that was added in on the recommendations of... Didn't help. Right. So we're going from something that's, quote, natural that humans have been having for centuries to something that was brand new and invented. Oh, you man. know, and all the fat. I remember my grandmother getting him like the low-fat peanut butter. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, once I got older, I, I went to their house. I looked at it. It, was full, it said fully hydrogenated um, vegetable oil in the peanut butter. And so it's like it's basically exposing it to more hydrogen to try to create, to extend the, the shelf life of it. It kind of mm. makes like a, in a strange way, a vegetable oil plastic out of it. In this yeah. sense. But anyways, so bottom line is this, and I'm, I'm glad I got a minute to talk about this because it's, it's, it's tough to talk about, but she, she was around for a while. She was there at my wedding. I felt like she stayed. Wow. I felt like she stayed to make sure that I was in good hands, you know? Wow. Um, but shortly after that, she died from an a overdose. She was uh, depressed, I didn't know. Really? Um, and, you know, with the, with the story goes, you know, I don't know if she did it on purpose or not, but, you know, she, she took her medication and she died. Um, shortly after the wedding or? Yes. Not not too long months after, maybe something. you know maybe a year later. Yeah, but you know I lost and I lost the love of my life outside of my wife to depression. Mm. And you know when he left here, like really her identity was so tied to oh, him. Man. You know she loved him so much. Man, yeah. So when I'm talking about this stuff, but also her health was going down as well. And I'm just now really starting to hit my stride in understanding this field and helping a lot of people. And, you know, I didn't know, like my grandmother had diabetes, she had this, she had this, that issue. She had like the whole pill cabinet. Oh man. And for me growing up in it, it was normalized, right. you know, and yet we're, we're treating symptoms. And so when we're not in a good state of health, the, the depression, it is just, it's more, it can be more invasive. Yeah. It can be harder to deal with. They come together. So hard to deal my with. Point it's hard to get I, out of it. Yeah. My point that I want to share is when we're venturing into these outward states of inflammation, because even our fat cells themselves are an inflammatory factor. Mm. They're essentially they're putting out a distress signal that's letting your body think in a sense that you're infected. And the fat cells themselves are creating inflammation. Mm. Right. And if we, if we talked about that again, that systemic chronic inflammation. It's just literally checking all boxes for a bad event to take place, whether it's depression, whether which depression now we've got sound data on it having an inflammatory component, depression, heart attack, stroke, dementia, the list goes on and on and on. And a big catalyst for this, about 400,000 people die each year from obesity related conditions. Really? And it's just a footnote. Is that like they have type two diabetes or they give stress or they have heart attacks because of Obesity or what are those main? So these are comorbidities, Uh, right? So these are comorbidities. They're obese, but they die from something else. Right, right. But that's there. 400,000 people every year? Every year, yeah. Yeah. It's, you think if they weren't obese that they wouldn't die? The obesity is, it's it's kind of fueling the flames of the inflammation, for example. Mm. It's fueling the flames of the metabolic dysfunction. Right. Right. You can still look healthy and die of a heart attack. You hear that sometimes where it's like, but today, it's the exception, not the rule. Right. The majority of the time, right, right, right. it's related to being overweight and Or obese. It's probably with stress or some type of like inner, 
you yeah. know, stress. Maybe you don't look unhealthy, but inside you're not able to deal with anger or resentment or stress or shame or whatever it is. Your thoughts are creating chemistry in your body. Man, Period. crazy, isn't it? It is. It's powerful, man. It's powerful. But, you know, this really ties in well with this topic of cognitive function. Yes. Because we talked about neuroinflammation, but specifically the researchers were indicating hypothalamic inflammation. So What's that's that? inflammation. The hypothalamus is... It, it's really been considered the master gland of the, of the human body. Where is it? Instances. So it's in your brain. Okay. It's, it's, it's in your brain, but it's, so I think the best description is the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. So we've got this HPA axis and there's so many other glands upon that axis, even a thyroid. And so the hypothalamus is kind of like in the boss's office in a sense, right? I would argue that it's not necessarily the boss because everything is working together. Mm -hmm. But the reason that it's considered a master gland is that the hypothalamus integrates your endocrine system, the production of all your hormones, with your nervous system, which is like sensing your environment, your internal and external environment, wow. based on that data and that feedback, integrating the two. And your hypothalamus is also controlling even calorie absorption. It's in constant contact with your gut. And so the, the vagus nervous is linked up here as well. And so based on your assessment, your brain's assessment of, and also your gut of your caloric needs, how much energy you have stored, your, your brain can tell your gut to increase the absorption of calories from the food or decrease the absorption of calories from food. And so we wow. talked about this last time about these- So anyway, your brain can tell your gut when I'm eating all these calories, don't absorb these calories, just let them go out. Yeah, essentially, it can, or down, it can down regulate it, or but it's not gonna on. be like you can just eat a donut and you don't absorb anything, you know what I mean? <laughs> That'd be amazing, if you, could your mind actually do that though? Do you think the anything mind could control possible. and anything say, I'm gonna have 1500 calories right now with this ice cream and donuts and nothing is gonna be absorbed in my body. It's going to go <laughs> out to me and you just manifest, you just decide and declare, no. Ooh, such a powerful first part of the conversation. And we're going to end that first part right there. And if you want to hear Sean's answer to that question, you'll have to check out part two coming out here in a couple of days. So make sure to stick around for part two. If this is your first time here. Click the subscribe button right now so you're notified when that comes out. And we're going to dive deep into strengthening the immune system, the three important fats for brain health that you need, and so much more. So thank you so much for listening to this. And if you enjoyed it, make sure to share this with one or two friends that you think would be inspired to help them improve the quality of their life as well. And again, subscribe if this is your first time here. And if you enjoyed this, please leave a review. If you haven't left a review yet, I think we've got like 10,000, 11,000, maybe 12,000 reviews already over on Apple Podcasts. I love reading your thoughts, the, the parts that have inspired you. I love reading all your reviews. So please go leave a review over on Apple Podcasts and let me know the part of this episode you enjoyed the most. And I want to leave you with this quote from Edward Stanley, who said, those who think they have no time for healthy eating will sooner or later have to find time for illness. Ho, oh, that is the truth, sadly, and it's unfortunate, but there's too much suffering and pain happening in the world. A lot of it is due based on our choices of what we eat, how we sleep, how we think and feel about ourselves, and many other things as well. But food and nutrition heals, my friends. I hope you're doing your best 
to make the best choices. We're all human beings. You know, I'm a guy that loves to have some candy, some cakes, some cookies every now and then. But if you can do your best, I'm telling you, have some quality meals throughout your week that will help you improve the quality of your health. It will improve the quality of your life. And I want to remind you, if no one's told you lately that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. I'm so grateful for you. And you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've learned the hard way that constantly holding on to your emotions and repeatedly choosing to not talk about your feelings will only make you feel worse and worse. And up until about 10 or 11 years ago, I was afraid to talk about my trauma that I experienced. And I know we all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. But therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to fit your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Lewis today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash L-E-W-I-S.